So if you're looking in your notes, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Let me just read it to you. It says, For we do not have a high priest, and that's a reference to Jesus Christ himself. The whole book of Hebrews is written around the fact that Jesus was the greatest of all high priests. It's interesting, by the way, in Jesus, one of Jesus' trials, uh, he is slapped by a soldier. Um, a Jewish soldier slaps him in the face and says, How dare you talk to the high priest that way? Jesus could have slapped the soldier right back and said, how dare you talk to the high priest that way? But he didn't. He was silent before the high priest. But it's a very interesting concept. Jesus is the high priest in verse 15. It says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. I've been studying, and and I'm looking forward to probably uh, early next year, 2015, I'm going to do a little... A series in the pulpit for you that deals with our sin nature and some of the inner workings of how we get there. What our will has to do with our body and our mind and our soul and how all that fits together. You know, Jesus says multiple times, um, you know, what, what would a man gain if he loses his soul? Um, you have everything and lose your soul. And uh, your soul's very important concept throughout the scriptures. But there's also a mind and a will and your emotions and all that stuff. So I want to take some of that apart for you. But here's a passage where the Scripture's saying very clearly, Jesus was tempted just like we are, but He was sinless. He was a holy and sinless God. Now I want you to remember where Jesus, when he, had, at, when he came to earth as a little baby in a manger, was born in Bethlehem there. Um, I want you to remember where He came from. He came from heaven. He lived and resided through all of pre-eternity. He lived and resided in heaven. And in heaven, there was no sin. There was no, there was no I was thinking it was like a 105 degree heat index this week. And uh, some of my friends and I were out cutting grass, calling each other, making sure we were still surviving that. And I was like, man, I bet heaven's never like this. Never like this. He was, Jesus never in heaven had a 105 degree heat index. There's never a time in heaven where Jesus was uncomfortable, unhappy, uh, or faced anything but praise and honor and worship and adoration from all the angels and all the saints that have gone on before. That's all heaven was for Jesus. And he was completely sinless. And he left heaven and earth to come down to earth to pay for our sins, and to be tempted just like we are. There was no temptation for him before that. But then he came to earth. And here on earth, where the fall of man had taken place and the enemy could tempt him, he was tempted just like you and I. And I just want you to get it clear in your head. Jesus Christ faced exactly the same things you face. And that's why it says he sympathizes with us. you can find great comfort just in that phrase in Hebrews 4.15. Whatever trial you're going through, whatever stress in your relationships, whatever stress in your family, whatever financial stress you're going through, um, the Bible says Jesus was stressed and tempted into all those areas, just like us. Just like us. And you say, well, he didn't have a, you know, a mortgage and all that kind of stuff. We don't understand exactly what Jesus all had and was responsible for. I do know this. The Bible is very clear that he was tempted just like you. And the things that he was offered from Satan and his temptations in the early part of the Gospels match every temptation you and I face all the time. And Jesus was never willing to surrender his will as a man to the call of Satan in his life, to the temptations 
And he always just turned back to Scripture. He quoted Scripture to Satan. And he quoted his father. And he said, here's what, here's what the truth is. And when he stated the truth, the temptations went away. And that's part of what we have to do, is we have to state the truth in our temptations. We have to face truth. We have to know the truth and uh, know it real clear. So um, Jesus was sinless before he left heaven. And he came to earth and stayed sinless. But then something changes in that, and I want you to go to Isaiah 15. It's in your Old Testament. It may take you minutes to find it, but it's a real easy book to find in the Old Testament because it's real big. It's in the back half of the Old Testament, Psalms and Proverbs, and then Psalms is the biggest book in the Old Testament, so you can find Psalms and look past Psalms. Go to the right, you'll find Isaiah. And Isaiah 52 is, or, yeah, is, a, is a prophetic... I think I got all the wrong references up there for that, but we'll, I'll fix it for you in just a second. Isaiah 53 is a prophetic um, psalm speaking specifically of Jesus and the suffering that he would face. And the prophet Isaiah and Isaiah 53, all these next references should say 53. I know I noticed in my, my notes up here I got 55 and 53 and 54 and I don't know what I was doing. So, But I know it's all in 53, so, so just listen to the passage. Verse 1, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of the parched ground. It's talking about the, the birth of Jesus coming from a very um, dry desert place from, in a very dry time spiritually for Israel. Um, he has no stately form or majesty uh, that we should look upon him, nor, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He looks like everybody else. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Did you know that Jesus was a man of sorrows, fully, fully acquainted? Listen to what it says. Fully acquainted with grief. I attended another funeral this week, a friend of ours, uh, Eddie Sanders. Some of you know Eddie, his mother passed away. And uh, Eddie, Eddie and his sister Sue uh, stood by the casket there. And I just watched Sue. You know, her mother was her best friend. And I knew Sue from a little girl when I was here, or, or when I was a little boy here in, in church. She was part of our church. And uh, it was just hard to watch her grieve. And I remember the, the hours that I grieved over my, the loss of my brother and still do grieve over his loss. But the Bible says that he, Jesus himself, um, is a man that's, completely saturated with grief. Completely saturated with grief. Now, I'm studying some of why that is. But he's fully acquainted with grief, just like we are. Everybody in this room, everybody in this room is fully acquainted with some level of grief. You've grieved over something very deeply. You've had something hurt you deeply and cause you grief. Here's the cool thing. Jesus Christ, Son of God, King of kings and Lord of lords, Ruler of the universe, the one who we've said for several weeks now can open his mouth and speak universes into existence with just his words. He's acquainted with grief, just like we are acquainted with grief. And the Bible says he's a man of sorrows. Thirdly, I want you to look at verse uh, 4. It says, Jesus carries our sorrows. Surely our grief he, have, he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. He carries our grief and our sorrows on him. 
There's a loving God. You know, I, I, I shared with you last week when we talked about the three truths about God and how our society gets God all wrong. They get things all wrong. When you read the Scriptures, He's not a judgmental, cruel, and angry God. There are those moments where judgment's going to happen, and by the way, there's some future moments where judgment's going to happen. But in the meantime, God is doing all He can to extend His love and His grace and His mercy to us. And the Bible says Jesus carries all your sorrows, all your sorrows and all your grief. He'll carry them for you. There's a passage in Matthew, Matthew 11, 29, if you want to put it in, the, in your side notes. Uh, Matthew 11, 27, 28, 29 through 30, it says, says uh, we can cast all our cares... First Peter says we can cast all our cares on Jesus. But in Matthew, he says, um, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, and I will carry your burden. I will literally carry it for you so that the, my burden's not heavy and my yoke is easy, he says. And by the way, that's a, a passage where Jesus is using an analogy um, of where, where um, the two oxen would be pulling a plow, and, and they had what they called training yokes um, that you'd put on an oxen. There was a big one that fit over the big, strong ox that had been plowing for years, but the young ox has to learn how to do all that. And he has to learn how to not let that thing wear his shoulders out and not fight against it and all that. So they had these training yokes that they would put over the big ox. And there was a little smaller yoke that attached to it, right next to it. And uh, <clears throat> the little one would, would just walk next to the big one. Everywhere he went, the little one had to go. And he was being trained in how to do that. And Jesus is saying, look, I got this. I can carry your sorrows. Take my yoke upon you. I'll carry the weight and the burden and the trials and all that stuff for you. I'll carry your sorrows myself. You just walk alongside me. And, and my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Some, some of the people that uh, write, write in history say that part of the carpentry that Jesus and his father did was, was yoke makers. They made yokes that would fit over. It had to be custom made. Every ox has a different size shoulders and a different set of bone structures there and all that. So when you can make a general yoke and then a guy bring you his ox and say, hey, I need that yoke to fit here. Next thing you know, they're shaving and carving and all that. And a lot of people believe Jesus was the world's greatest yoke. Wouldn't make sense, wouldn't it? The world's greatest yoke maker. And uh, so when he says to you, you know, take my yoke upon you. Let me be the strong one that will carry this. Psalm 27 says that about Jesus, that He is our strong arm, He's our stronghold, and He'll carry us through our troubles. So I'm just asking this morning, we sang, And I know, yes I know, Jesus' blood can make the vilest sinners clean. But did you know that Jesus would carry all your sorrows for you? He doesn't, he doesn't ask you to carry your sorrows. He asks, can He carry the sorrows for you? And did you know that the, um, Jesus was pierced for your transgressions? Look in verse 5. Verse 4 says, Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his stripes, by his scourgings, we are healed. Will you just reflect with me today? We're going to take the Lord's table together in a little while. Invite all who know Christ our Lord and Savior. If you're a Christian today, man, we just love for you to participate with us. But when you take it that, will you just reflect with me on this? He was pierced for your transgressions, not his sins. How many sins did he have? 
until he willingly drank the cup of your sin, he had none. He had no sin. And yet, he was pierced in his hands and his feet, and even his side was pierced with a spear from a soldier. For you and me, for our sins, my personal sins put Jesus on the cross. That's how it needs to reflect in your head all the time. Your personal sins sent Jesus to the cross. You can say, well, so did everybody else's. So did yours. And if there were no other sins, just you and your sin, Jesus would have to go to the cross to die for you to have the opportunity to go to heaven and for him to be willing to carry your sorrows and your griefs. By the way, I'm, I'm, I told you I'm studying all this uh, kind of at a new level for me because there's a lot of theology in this um, that's real simple, but then there's some deeper theology in Somewhere in all this, when it says Jesus carries our sorrows, I think the sorrow is related more to our sin than, uh, than it is related to our emotions. And uh, I'm working through that. I don't even have all that settled yet. I probably don't need to say a lot today or I'll say something I shouldn't say. But uh, it's a very interesting concept to me that Jesus was willing to say, I'm going to go to earth and I'm going to carry all the grief and sorrow. What causes grief and sorrow? sin. Without sin, there's no grief and sorrow. And so Jesus is willing to carry all of that for us. And because of that, the Bible says he is pierced for our transgressions. And then it says he was, when he was scourged, it brings healing to us. That just blows my ever-loving mind. When Jesus was scourged with that um, Roman scourge, it's a piece of leather on a, uh, several pieces of leather, usually nine or ten uh, straps of leather that are tied to a, a, a short stick. And in the end of those pieces of leather, they they um, they put fragments of bone and fragments of pottery, uh, anything that will cut and and tear. And and when they hit a person with that scourge, they they usually stretch them real tight, uh, make their back real tight. And when they hit the person, it's meant to literally stick to them. Those those little pieces catch on, and then they twist it a half a turn and pull back so that it tears. And literally, it's taught throughout the scriptures. Uh, and then the medical researchers said, you know, when Jesus actually hung on the cross, he had been scourged so many times that it probably had most of his body from his knees to his chest torn wide open, that he would have been just one big open wound, lots and lots of muscle tissue and deeper tissues uh, torn and exposed, tremendous amount of pain. And they put that robe on top of that, and then they take the robe back off. He suffered every bit of that. For his sin, he didn't have any sin. He willingly carried your sins and my sins and was willingly pierced and scourged. And while he's being scourged, the Bible says, by his stripes, you and I are healed. How does that work? How does that work in in the throne room of heaven? How can God look upon his son and say, now if you'll just take this scourging, son, all of the children that will trust me as Lord and Savior, they're going to receive a healing a healing, a spiritual healing. And your spiritual healing came during that scourging right there. And an amazing truth, by His stripes we are healed. Did you know that the full wrath of God was poured out on Jesus because of what you did? Look at uh, Galatians 5, and there's uh, found about nine verses that say the same thing. I just picked Galatians because we were in it for so long. did a whole series on Galatians for the last several years. So it's just refreshing for me to get back there. Galatians, uh, it's Galatians 3.13. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, 
having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Now, when a curse, the curse of God is placed on a person, what's the judgment of God upon sin? The wrath of God comes upon our sins. Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians, all of them talk about the wrath of God being poured out on sin. And by the way, there's a future wrath of God that's going to be poured out as well. There's another wrath that's coming. The first time Jesus went to the cross, the wrath of God, for all of us who trust Christ, the wrath of God has stayed. Now get this. You were supposed to receive the full wrath of God for even the first little sin you ever sinned as a child. I'm watching uh, all these parents raise their little children and, and tell their kids not to do something. They go ahead and do it anyway. Don't climb up there. Don't touch this. Go, go. Stop that. And I'm just watching them going, oh, little sinners they are. They're all little sinners. You know, and they're all, we were all that way too, and all my kids were little sinners. We just disobey all the time. But every single little sin that we sin as children, every single sin we sin as an adult, every single improper thought we will have this week cost Jesus his life. Cost him his life. Sin, the wrath of God has to be poured out on sin. And so when Jesus said, Yes, Father, I will go, uh, I will go to, to, into the world and I'll live among them and I will be cursed by you. He's saying, I will receive the, your full wrath of sin on them, on me. The wrath you're supposed to give every one of us. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take that on me. Just not fair, is it? For the Holy One, the sinless one, Jesus Christ, his hands had never done anything but heal. His hands had never done anything but comfort and love. Held little children and told us to become like them. Fed people. And, and, and healed and raised people from the dead. That's what His hands had done. And God said, now the wrath of me has to be poured out on you because of you've drank in the sin of mankind. You've drank stand sin into your life. In the Garden of Gethsemane, you, you willingly said, it's time. And when you said that, now... You're going to die on the cross. You're going to be scourged and beaten and have your beard plucked out. You're going to die on the cross to pay for Stan's sin. A lot of people say, well, you know, God, God could have chosen a lot of other things to, to crucify Jesus than to crucify him. That's such a horrible way to die. And the scourging takes place before that. And all the terrible things that the soldiers, uh, both the Jewish and the Roman soldiers, did to Jesus. That's a terrible thing to do. Why didn't God just have him killed quickly and instantly? You know, kind of, kind of something quick. And I want to just tell you, I believe part of that is so that for all eternity in our lives, right here, right here at Northside Bible Church, as we prepare to, to take the Lord's communion, as we prepare to just commune with God, as we recognize every prayer we pray to God only gets to Him through the cross, I think the reason God allowed that to be such a horrible, terrible, grotesque, and bloody place was to say, that's what it looks like. when My wrath is poured out on somebody. That's what you were supposed to look like. When God poured out His wrath on you for your sin, that's what it would have looked like. But it never was us. Josh Purvis, our former youth guy, uh, children's guy and youth guy, he was kind of just a great part of our church for years. And he loved to write songs. He'd write, I don't know, a dozen songs a day. He's just crazy songwriter. But one of my favorite songs of all times is, uh, that he wrote has to do with the fact that there's no scars on me. And... and, and the song literally says, do you see any scars? Do you see any scars on me? See any, do you see any scars in my hands? 
There are no scars in my hands. You know why? Because I didn't have to be pierced and wounded and scourged. Jesus was willing to do that for me. That's the beauty of what Christ did for us. The full wrath of God was poured out on Jesus. And then I just want to make sure you get this one. You guys know I love this verse, and I did get this one right in my notes. I hope they're right in your notes. Romans 5. We did a series on Romans five or six years ago. I love this passage. Romans 5, verse 19. For as through the one man's disobedience, that's a reference to Adam, the many are made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, Jesus, many will be made righteous. The law came that transgressions might increase. But where sin increases, grace abounds all the more. If you have, if you mark in your Bibles, highly recommend you write in your Bibles and underline things. I was reading one of my mother's old Bibles this morning, looking at some of the things she'd underlined. Romans chapter 5, verse 20. If you underline the last phrase, it says, where sin increased, grace abounded. New American Standard says all the more. It really needs to read this way. It's exactly what the word means. Grace super abounded. Where sin increased, grace super abounded. And I've told you this before. It's a, it's a reference to rivers. Uh, the, the, the words that are used here are how they used to describe rivers and, and flood tides. When, when the river gets at flood stage, they have these sticks out in the rivers that have markers on them. We have them in all, all through the delta there out there. And uh, there are these little lines that mark it on there. And where sin increases, where the, the sin of life swells up, in the river and washes up into the banks and eventually washes into people's backyards and maybe even into their homes. Where sin increases, here's what happens. Grace, God's undeserved favor, super abounds over all of that. And it's literally the word in, in the Greek, it's literally the concept of being immeasurable. Sin, where sin comes up on those sticks and gets to where it's like, wow, that's an extreme flood stage and it's right here and it's right here, but it's still marked on the stick. We're still marking the flood stage in the delta. Where sin does that, grace goes, nope, over the top. No stick needed, you'll never measure this. You can't measure the amount of grace. There's no sin outside the boundary of God's grace, and Calvary covers all of our sins. The wrath of God was poured out on Jesus to cover every single sin that would ever be sinned if we just trust Him as our Lord and Savior. That's the beauty of Calvary. I always tell people... It's like uh, when I was a kid, we, we owned the restaurant up here at Overlook Restaurant. And uh, my mom and dad owned that little restaurant and spent a bazillion hours in that little corner of Overlook Shopping Center running that restaurant. And I was stuck there many, many hours of my life. My little brother and I would get stuck there, transportation issues, and we, we you know, that's just where we stayed. We'd sleep in booths and, you know, wash a lot of dishes and all that kind of stuff. Well, if you did a little chore for mom and dad every once in a while, they'd give you... Uh, 25 cents or 50 cents, and you go down to TGNY. used to be a TGNY in that shopping center. Toys, Goods, and Yo-Yos, if you don't know what that stands for. <clears throat> TGNY down at the end. There was a pharmacy and then TGNY down at the end. And we'd go down to TGNY with our 50 cents, and you could buy a rubber ball. And uh, I used to have my baseball glove keeping in my dad's car, and, and I'd go out beside that, that brick wall on the side of that thing, and I'd throw that rubber ball till the the covering came off of it, till it was change colors from all it's beat up and just throw it and catch it, throw it and catch it, throw it and catch it. Hours at a time. And then somewhere in the 70s, some guy created this really cool thing called a super ball. 
And they were awesome. They were a lot more expensive. They were like a dollar. And they had these little boxes at TGNY, these Super Bowls. They were clear. And they had this real uh, 1960s swirly stuff down inside of them, kind of psychedelic. And they were, soft, they were just clear as they could be. And according to the, the information you had about them, man, a Super Bowl bounced like nobody's business. It was way different than a regular ball. So I was like, oh, this is exciting. And I saved up and saved up and washed a lot more dishes and eventually bought my very first Super Bowl. You know how many times I threw that Super Bowl against that wall? One time. Because it really was super abounding. When I took that left arm of mine and just, wha-bam! That thing hit one of those bricks and it shot completely over Highway 98. I watched it. 98 used to be two lanes. I watched it go over the tree behind the restaurant and over 98 into the woods. I was like, well, that was fun. $1.50 down the drain right there. You know, all for one. But you know what that ball did? It super abounded. See, the little rubber ball would just come right back to me. That's sin. Sin has that much power in our lives. Grace super abounds. It covers everything. It covers everything. There is no sin outside the grace of God. You can't have sinned in a way that God's grace will not cover you the minute you fall on your face before Him. Say, Father, forgive me for I have sinned. And I trust in the work of Christ on the cross who was bruised and wounded and pierced for my transgressions. I trust that His work covers me and that Your wrath was poured out on Him so I don't have to have Your wrath. All I know now is Your embrace. Isn't that the truth? That's the truth of the cross. So Calvary covers all our sins. And lastly, you guys talked about this in Sunday school a few weeks ago. Did you know that it grieves God? It grieves God when you sin. Ephesians 4.30 says that we are grieved, that, that the Holy Spirit is grieved when we choose sin over righteousness. When you just make simple choices through the week, it grieves the Spirit of God. So I'm challenging every one of you today to live in the beauty of what the cross really is. To, I'm just reminding you on a day we're going to take communion. I'm asking, do you know these magnificent seven truths uh, about your salvation today? Most of you today, I know you personally, most of you are, are strong Christians. You're walking with the Lord. But sometimes we just forget to look back and go, oh yeah, that's exactly what it's about. And Jesus asks us in the Bible, He says, we do these things, take this communion in remembrance of me. We do it in remembrance of me. And so today I'm, I'm going to remind you that the cross was all about you personally. Your sins are what caused Him to be pierced. Your sins, my sins, are what sent Him to the cross. And He willingly died there to pay for our sins. So will you bow with me as I close?